Well, we'll come to the time in our service now where we're going to look at a passage of Scripture. We're going to talk about what it means, uh, why this matters to our lives today, and how it applies. So if you have a Bible with you, if you would turn to John chapter 15, if you're using this brown pew Bible, it's on page 764. And when you found that passage, John 15, if you're able, would you stand with me? And we'll read together from God's Word. John 15, beginning at verse 1. Jesus says this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples." As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. This is God's word. You may be seated. <clears throat> Pray for us once more and commit this uh, time now to God as well, asking him to bless the reading and the preaching of his word. Living God, we come to you now and to your word, trusting that you will accomplish the purpose for which you've sent out this word. You tell us very clearly that when you send it out, When you send out this word, it accomplishes the purpose for which you send it. It doesn't return void to you. We don't know always what that purpose is, but I trust that in each one of our hearts, you will accomplish that purpose in us this morning, just as you have accomplished it in me this week as I studied this. God, I'm asking you to give us open ears and hearts to receive what it is you want to say to us, and then to not just know it, but to follow it, to to walk in it, to be obedient to what you show us. Do that, we pray, for your glory and honor. And as I always ask now, eternal God, would you move and govern my tongue to speak your truth. Amen. The purpose of a lamp is to give light, right? I mean, that's what a lamp does. And there may be other uses that you 
use a lamp for. Maybe you use it as an anchor to set on a table and hold up bed sheets if you're making one of those really cool forts in your living room. Maybe you would use a lamp as a weapon that you would throw at someone who had broken into your house. The fact remains that whatever else you might use it for, the purpose for which a lamp was designed was to shine light. That's, that's why it was made. And yet, I think all of us would agree that no matter how much a lamp might want to shine light, no matter how much it try hard to achieve that purpose, if it's not plugged into a power source, it's going to continually be unable to do so. And I realize that sounds weird even saying that, but I'm sorry Walt Disney has just ruined all of us to even say that a lamp would want to do something, but you know what I mean. It can't achieve its purpose unless it's plugged into a power source. The purpose for which we were designed, according to the Westminster Shorter Catechism, is this, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That, that's, that's why we exist. That's the chief end of man, as this uh, source tells us, and that statement they base out of the clear teaching of Scripture. But following that line of logic, if a lamp can't live out its purpose without being plugged into a power source, it begs the question, can we? Can we live out the purpose for which we were designed without being plugged into some kind of power source? Or maybe you'd want to say that the ability to live out that purpose is, is woven into our design. Well, the clear teaching of the Bible, which shows us right from the beginning is this, that although God designed us to, to glorify Him and enjoy Him forever, we were never designed to be able to live out that purpose in isolation from Him. We can't live out that purpose in isolation from Him. But with the introduction of sin into the world, which we read about in Genesis 3, and then following there, we became separated. We became cut off from God and our relationship with Him, we were no longer able to live out the purpose for which we were designed. Just as this past February, when my phone was introduced to ocean water, was no longer able to live out its purpose anymore for which it was designed. In isolation from God, because of sin, we can't live out our purpose for which we were designed anymore. So what that means for us today is that no matter how much we might feel alive, no matter how much we might want to enjoy life to the fullest, if we try to continue to live our lives in isolation from God, we will be as able to do that, to accomplish that, as a lamp is able to shine lights without being plugged in, or a phone that's gone swimming in the ocean. Can't do it. We are continuing this series. We've got just two weeks left now in this series we've entitled, I Am. Looking at eight things that Jesus wanted us to know about who He is from the Gospel of John. And what we said each Sunday is that the reason Jesus wanted us to know these things, wanted us to know about who He is, is He didn't just want us to know facts about Him, to add to our factual knowledge about who Jesus is, but to know who He is in a personal way. So we could have a personal relationship with Him because that's the only place where real transformation actually occurs within a living relationship with Jesus. So far, the things that we've been that's been revealed to us about who Jesus is are that He's God, that He's bread, that He is light, that He's the gate 
the Good Shepherd, and then last Sunday, how He is the way, the truth, and the life. Today, the next thing Jesus wants to reveal to us about who He is, is that He is the true vine. The true vine. And and in revealing Himself to us that way, I think what Jesus wants to reveal to us is that He is both the power source, the power source which enables us to live out the purpose for which we were designed, and just as we uh, looked at two Sundays ago, uh, talking about the Good Shepherd, saying that the way we know we are His own sheep is we hear His voice and we respond to it. I think with this description of Himself as the vine, Jesus is giving us another means by which we can determine whether or not we are truly connected to Him, we're truly plugged into Him or not. So, in order to understand how Jesus is this vine and, and how that helps us to develop a deeper and better relationship with Him, I want to look at our passage this morning in just three ways. We want to look at the purpose of the vine, the purpose of our connection, and then finally, the joy of our connection to the vine. It's those three things, the purpose of the connection, the purpose of the vine, and the joy of connection to the vine. So if you have closed your Bibles, would you open them again to John 15? I want you to follow along with me as we look at this next scene that Jesus wants us to know about who he is. So let's look first of all at the purpose of the vine. The purpose of the vine. Now in verses 1 through 8 here, Jesus is is really almost telling a parable of sorts, a, a story of kind, using this imagery of a vine and a vineyard. But anytime you have a parable, anytime you have a story in the Bible, it's always important whenever possible to understand who the characters are, what what are the roles and who's playing who in this story in order to help you understand what the story means. So let's quickly do that ourselves uh, as we begin here. If you look at verse 1 with me, Jesus very clearly says here, the one playing the role of the vine is him. I am the vine, Jesus says. And then he says that the the role of the gardener, uh, the farmer, some of your translations will say the vine dresser, is God the Father. Okay, so that's who's playing those roles. And then if you look down at verse 5, Jesus tells us that, that the role we're playing, all of us, is branches. He says, I'm the vine, you are the branches, those, those parts that grow out of the vine and on which the fruit grows. Okay, now that's, that seems pretty straightforward, clear, right? Uh, it's pretty obvious to us. I don't want to spend more time on that than is necessary. And yet, can I just point out at the same time how often I see, how often I see and honestly I feel within my own heart over and over again, how often I want to take the program for this production, open it up and take a big sharpie and write in there, tonight the role of vine or the role of gardener will be played by me. I want to put that little notice in the program just so everybody knows, actually I'm going to, I'm going to be playing that role. Can we just admit in this moment of sanity, I pray with all of us, just as a family, let's be honest with each other, even if you forget it an hour from now, we can't do that. We, we are about as capable of, of fulfilling that, those roles ourselves as a lamp would be of saying, I want to be the power source for the house. I don't like having to be plugged into the house to give light. I should be able to give power to the house. You, It doesn't work that way, right? You can't switch the roles around. Neither can we play the roles of vine or God, no matter how much we might want to. 
Okay, so those are the roles. That's, that's who's playing the roles. I think it might also be helpful if we just back up for a second and say, okay, well, why is Jesus even using this imagery of a vine at all? Talking about a vine and vineyards and fruit, why, why is he doing that? Is, that, is he just using uh, uh, images of the day that people would have understood in this ancient Near Eastern context? Or is, is the image actually the point? Well, it's both. It's both of those things, and yet I think the balance absolutely leans to the latter because Jesus is making a profound point by calling himself the vine, which, which although it's not immediately obvious to us, would have been immediately noticeable to his Jewish listeners as they heard him say this. Because you see, all through the Old Testament, the image of a vineyard, the image of vines, was always used to describe the people of Israel. It was used to describe God's covenant people, but that image was always, almost always, used negatively. It was used to describe how Israel continued to produce bad fruits because of their disobedience to God, their, their not being faithful to the covenant that God had made with them. So, in using this imagery of a vine, automatically Jesus is shining a light now on an area that, that his Jewish listeners, they would have found uncomfortable, they would have found uh, uh, to be difficult for them to hear, just even in bringing it up. It's like somebody uh, uh, trying to talk about the Stanley Cup in Vancouver. Immediately everyone's like, well, okay, where are you going with this? We don't, we don't like, it brings up immediately bad connotations. And yet, what Jesus says about himself there in verse 1, I am the true vine. It's profound and it's, it's not meant to be an act of judgment at all. What Jesus is saying is actually profoundly comforting to his Jewish listeners because what he's doing is taking something familiar that, that his Jewish listeners would have understood and then he's redefining it. He's re-imaging it now to show how that familiar thing now actually was, was a sign that was pointing ahead to him. And we, see, uh, we saw this actually a, a year ago when we were looking at uh, Jesus' celebration of the Passover supper right before he went to his death on the cross. Jesus does there is he takes uh, a part of the Passover celebration, which was uh, the unleavened bread. This was the bread that the people of Israel ate as they left their slavery in Egypt. They didn't have time to raise the loaves, and so they had unleavened bread that they brought with them as they left their slavery in Egypt under Moses. This was in Exodus. When Jesus is eating that Passover supper in the New Testament, right before he goes to his death, normally... Part of this Passover celebration, remembering God's deliverance, the person leading the meal would take the bread, he'd break it, and he'd say, this is the bread of the affliction which our ancestors ate in the wilderness. But what does Jesus do? He takes that familiar sign that they would have all known, he breaks the bread, and instead he says, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. See, he, he takes something familiar and completely redefines it, re-images to say, actually, it finds its fulfillment in me. So, in our passage here, now in calling himself the true vine, Jesus is taking another familiar symbol, the vineyard, always representing Israel's failure, their failure to be faithful to God and the covenant that he made with them, and he's re-imaging it, he's redefining it to say it finds its ultimate fulfillment in me. Jesus is saying, I am the true and better Israel. 
for all the ways that you failed to be faithful to God, that you were unable, unwilling even, to be faithful to the covenant, I am now going to be perfectly obedient and faithful to God on your behalf. And he's going to be so faithful to God, so committed is he to that faithfulness. We see in verse 13 here, even to the point of giving his life. That's how committed Jesus is to this obedience on our behalf. And when we understand that about Jesus, and once we understand what what our role is in this story and stop trying to play other roles, we see what a profoundly freeing message this is for us. Because first of all, what that means is that the purpose of the vine is to connect us to the Father. That's what it does. The vine connects us to the Father. Just like some of those other things we've learned about Jesus, how he's the gate, uh, uh, that's the way into the sheepfold, he is the way for us to get to the Father. Jesus, as the true vine, is telling us for all the ways that we've failingly tried to repair that separation, repair that distance between us and the Father that we could never do, He's saying here, he's doing it for us. He is earning that connection. He's accomplishing it. He's creating the connection for us on our behalf. That's what it means that Jesus is the true vine. We desperately need that because if you look at verse 10 with me, Jesus says very plainly, it is obedience to God's commands. Perfect obedience to God's command alone that can repair the connection between us and God and enable us to remain in his love. Okay? Anybody in here just nailing that this week? Anybody else already failed to obey God like that this morning? Yeah. We can't, we can't do it. We, we need somebody to do it on our behalf. Secondly, what this also means, the purpose of the vine is to enable us to be able to obey the Father so that we can remain in his love. As the the life of the Spirit flows through the vine into us. And you see this throughout the Bible, actually, but here it is again. Before Jesus ever calls us to be obedient to anything, he first offers us everything we'll need in order to be obedient to the command. It says, uh, St. Augustine famously said, Lord, command what you will and also grant what you command. Jesus doesn't say, hey, hey, get your act together, learn how to obey me perfectly, and then I'll connect you to the Father. No, he says, I know you're never going to be able to obey perfectly enough on your own so in order to repair that connection. So I am actually going to be perfectly obedient before the Father for you so that I can connect you now to him, so that you can remain in his love. And then when I do that, it then gives you the power. The power comes through that connection in order for you to live out the purpose for which you were designed. You're connected to the power source again, so you can do it. One place we see this clearly is described is a place like Second Peter 1, verse 3, where Peter writes this, his, this is Jesus, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. He's given it to us. We have it in our connection to him. Through, Peter says, the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So that's the purpose of the vine, connecting us to the Father, granting us the ability to remain in his love. Let's look next at the purpose of the connection. The purpose of the connection. And we need to look at this because all through this passage, if you, if you were listening, it says that bearing fruit, 
Bearing fruit is the purpose of our connection, which is what allows us to glorify the Father. But we also read things in this passage like verse 2. Look with me there. Jesus says, He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. And we hear about a father cutting off branches, and immediately everyone's just like, whoa, 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 what? If we feel like all of a sudden a professor has said, hey, close your books, get out your pencils, we're going to write a final exam, and you didn't even know it was coming, you've not studied at all, and now, okay, here it is. And it induces panic in us, and it can be fearful if we don't know what's going on. If we we don't stop for a minute, take a moment to understand what this means, rather than seeing God as a a loving gardener, a loving gardener, we can can think that Jesus is more like, or God the Father is more like a drill sergeant, standing in the chicken coop of life here, just berating chickens for their insufficient egg production, just like, do you understand me? And then if we're not sufficient enough, we're out of here. You're out to the barbecue pit. If you can't produce enough eggs, that's what it sounds like. And so let's stop. Take a deep breath. It's going to be okay. Let's see uh, two things here. We're going to see what, what bearing fruit is, and then we'll see how connection to the vine ensures that you will bear fruit. It ensures it. So first of all, what what, what does it mean to bear fruit at all? What does that mean? I'm just going to trust that we all understand this is not literal. Uh, God is not suggesting that he would like grapes or oranges to grow out of our limbs. That's not what's happening. But it's not immediately apparent, actually, when we read through the passage, well, what what does bearing fruit mean? He keeps saying to do it, but what does it mean? I think in order to understand that, we just need to broaden our context a little bit so we can understand a bit more about what this bearing fruit is. The first clue comes when we remember what we said earlier about the way God referred to His people Israel as a vineyard uh, and how it connected their, their inability to be obedient to God, connected their failure to, to follow Him and be faithful with what He always called as producing bad fruit. He would call it producing wild grapes many times in the Old Testament. Now, I don't know what your understanding of wine production is, but even just a a cursory understanding of of how wine is made shows you that grape selection is incredibly important. But wild grapes are, are unusable for making wine. They're too sour. You can't use them. So they're not fulfilling the purpose for which they're made. They're not producing good fruit. So now... Understanding that image here, okay, we're starting to see there's a connection between obedience to God, faithfulness to what He's called us to, and fruit. Fast forward now to the New Testament. On comes to the scene John the Baptist. He's preaching a message of, of repentance for sin, turning from their disobedience to God and turning back. And he says, You need to turn because the kingdom is coming. Prepare for the kingdom is coming. I'm making the way for the king. And when people are convicted by this message, they're like, okay, I see you're right. I'm not living according to God's commands. What should I do? What does John say to them? He says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. So repentance is is a turning away from sin. I'm going this direction. Now I'm turning this way. These were the disobedient acts. Now I'm going this way. Turning towards this way, I produce fruit that, that demonstrates that that's happening. And as he continues to talk, people come to them and say, what about me? What should I do? What about me? He, he talks to individuals and he says, okay, you, uh, uh, share what you have. Be generous with what you have. Don't hoard it to yourself. 
You, uh, tax collectors, don't, don't take more than you should. Be honest in your business dealings. Soldiers, don't uh, extort money from people and intimidate and bully people. All of these things, he says, are, are descriptions of what bearing fruit in keeping with repentance will look like. A steady, transformed character. And then, of course, one of the most well-known passages, if, if you're familiar with the, the Bible at all, of what <clears throat> bearing fruit looks like is the Apostle Paul's letter to the Galatians in chapter 5. There, after listing a, a whole list of, of things that would not be in keeping with God's command, that would be unfaithful to him, he says famously, Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit... The Spirit being the, the power of God that travels through our connection from the Father to us. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. He says, against such things there is no law. Nobody's going to say, hey, 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 stop with that goodness. These things are, are, are the fruits of what obedient, transformed character looks like. And it comes through our connection to the vine. So I think the picture the Bible gives us, looking at all these things together, what bearing fruit looks like, is behavior and character that mirrors and that is increasingly putting into line with God's character. That's what it means to bear fruits. Putting ourselves into alignment with God's character as it's revealed in His Word. Once we know that, I think then we can see how the purpose of the connection with Jesus as the vine is then what enables us to produce fruit of this kind. We need to be connected in order to be able to produce fruit because, and I'm saying this as somebody who, who, who is as good at growing things, I, I kill cactuses, which you need to water like twice a year maybe. I, I've killed cactuses, but I still know in order for a branch to bear fruit of any kind, to have life in it, it's got to be connected to something. I think that that's absolutely true. You're not going to walk through Van Dusen Gardens. You're not going to walk through Stanley Park and see a branch just lying on the ground somewhere and, and fruits and flowers and stuff coming out of it. You won't see that. No, in order to have life in itself, it needs to be connected, and it needs to be connected to the vine. It needs to be connected to the tree or whatever. You can't t take a branch and connect it to a hose or, or, or a dog or something like that. It's not going to produce anything. It needs to be connected to the vine in order to have the life in it. It needs to be connected to the vine in order to produce the fruit. And how often in our lives do we, do we try to connect ourselves to all kinds of other things where we think we're going to find the life we want, we think we're going to be able to produce the kind of fruit in our lives that we want, and we find again and again our branch withering. There is one place to connect the vine, and it's through Jesus Christ alone. He is the vine that connects us to the Father. And if you look at verse 4 and 5 here, Jesus uses this language for continuous connection to him of remaining. Remaining in him. Some of your translations will say abide. Look at what he says in verse 4 and 5 with me. Remain in me, Jesus says, or abide in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And all through this passage, Jesus uses the same language of remaining and abiding. 
And we'll talk about how we do that and what that is in a second. But did you notice in, in verse 5 there the promise that Jesus gives us? There's a promise there to all of us. He says, if you remain in him, you will bear fruit. You, you will. You see that? It's a foregone conclusion. If you are connected to the right source, you will bear fruit. So that means we don't need to be worried. We don't need to be stressed out that when the gardener comes for a fruit inspection, we're not going to have anything to show for ourselves. Connection to the vine, Jesus says, will bring about fruit, which means in one sense, if you think about it, our focus actually shouldn't be primarily on producing fruit, but on maintaining that life-giving, fruit-producing connection to the vine. Because if we're connected, we will bear fruit. So how do we do it? How, how do we remain in the vine? How do we abide in Him? Well, quickly, we need to cover that other part because this is a bit tricky in understanding how this works because maybe you picked it up already. Some of the language Jesus is using here, it seems to be talking about those who are connected and those who aren't. There are some that are truly connected, some who aren't. We've looked at this in some of the other passages we've talked about. Those who are truly in the sheep pen and those who are not. Those who can see and those who cannot. Jesus is again using salvation language here, particularly in verse 2 to 6. 2 and 6, excuse me there. He's talking about those who have a saving connection with the Father and those who do not. But I want to be really quick just to very quickly define for you so we understand what those branches that are cut off and thrown away and tossed into the fire are not. We need to see right away, before we even talk about this, what those branches are not. Because, listen, look at me. Those branches are not describing somebody who used to be connected to the vine. They had a connection to the vine, and then for whatever reason, they had a bad year, a bad season. They slowed down in their, their fruit production. For a while, they didn't seem to be producing very much fruit. And God the Father was just like, oh, forget it. This one's useless. Cuts it off. That's not what's happening here. Remember what Jesus said about those who are His in John 10. He says, I know my own, and no one can take them out of my hands. They are securely in His hands, and they will not be taken out. That's not what this is describing here. No, I think what Jesus is describing here is those who would appear to have a connection to him. That's why he can say, those who are in me, they appear to have a connection, but they were never truly connected to begin with. These are branches that have been uh, uh, shoved into the bush, if you will. They look like they're part of the branch. They look like they're part of the bush, but they're not actually connected. Those things are cut away in order to bring about greater health for the tree as a whole. The branch, the vine, the vineyard. An obvious example of this would be Judas Iscariot, a man who, who walked with Jesus and his closest group of disciples all through his earthly ministry, and yet, in the end, betrayed Jesus, sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. And I think later in 1 John, John describing perhaps that exact situation, 1 John 2, 19, John writes this, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. If they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going out showed that none of them belonged to us. So it's cut off, a branch to be cut off is a branch that was never truly connected to begin with. It's not cutting off a branch that has been already connected. So for us, 
who I pray are truly connected. And the way you know if you are truly connected to the vine, very simply, is if you have trusted and put your faith in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins and his enabling and empowering now to help you. Well, I'm going to say imperfectly, and it is imperfect, to imperfectly seek to daily look more and more like him. If that's the desire of your heart, you, you are connected. Let's see what this looks like to now remain in him, to abide in him. I see at least two ways here that Jesus says, to know his word and to be obedient to it. These are two ways Jesus clearly says that we remain in him, that we abide in him. Verse 7, look with me there. Jesus says part of what it means to remain in him is to have his words in us. If you remain in me and have my words in you, he says there, so what that means is, is, is having his word a daily part of our, of our health, a daily part of the, the strengthening connection with him is about having his word in us. This is what I think uh, King David was writing about, Psalm 119.11. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Knowing the words, studying, feeding on this book daily, knowing it. Making it a part of your daily life is a part of what it means to remain in the vine, to, to strengthen our connection with Him. But if you look at verse 10 again, what we saw before, it's not enough to simply know God's Word. We also need to be obedient to what it said. Because remember, this is exactly why Israel was described as an unfruitful vineyard. They did know God's laws. They just weren't being obedient to it. And we spent a long time talking about this when we went through James uh, last year when, when he said again and again, he just hammered on this. All the knowledge and study of the Bible in the world is ultimately useless if it doesn't affect the way you live. Remember James 1.22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. You need both. We need both in order to maintain that connection where, where spiritual fruit can actually be grown and seen in us as we act on what we know and is revealed to us in God's Word. And actually, I, I see at least one more way that Jesus says we remain connected to Him. And we see it in verse 2. Look with me there again. John says, one of the ways that we remain connected to Him in the second half of verse 2 there is by submitting to the Father's pruning. That is another way that we remain in him, that we remain in his connection. See, Jesus says there, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. How many of you in here uh, could tell stories of the Father's pruning in your life? Some of you maybe are experiencing a season of pruning this very day. First thing to say is that to the untrained eye, to the person who, who doesn't know or just looking on, pruning looks stupid. It looks ridiculous. You, you, you would think the person pruning has no idea what they're doing. If you've ever, if you've ever watched it, it looks like a horticultural horror show as this guy comes through trees, vineyard, whatever, slashing things off. And, and, and you would, if you watch it happen, you'd think they'd lost their mind. You'd be looking at perfectly healthy branches on the ground, and you'd be asking yourself, why? why? Why would he cut that off? That's crazy. And then when he's done, you look at the vineyard, the branches that do remain uh, uh, stubby, raw. 
Any of you who ever gone through a season of pruning of any kind from the Father would, would say that's exactly how it feels. It feels painful. It feels difficult. It feels seemingly random and incomprehensible. What, what, what are you doing? Why would you cut that away? I don't understand. But before you start asking yourself, okay, right, so, so why is being connected to the vine a good thing again? Wait. Uh, uh, the second thing to see, we need to see right away, is that this pruning... The pruning of the, of the Father is not punishment. Pruning is not punishment. It is the loving, skillful surgery of the gardener intended to help us produce more fruit that we never would have been able to produce otherwise if he hadn't cut us back. So the question that we need to answer for ourselves here as we think about our connection to the vine is not, will I be pruned? You don't need to ask yourself that question. If you are connected to the vine, Jesus says, verse 5, you will bear fruit. Verse 2 says, branches that produce fruit will be pruned. So that's not the question you need to ask yourself. The question we really need to know and answer for ourselves is, do I trust that the gardener knows what he's doing? Do I trust the gardener's hand as he prunes me? Do I trust that the God who chose me and grew me, spiritually speaking, out of the vine? That's, that's what verse 16 is saying there. He is the one who's caused us to grow out of the vine. Do I trust that he knows exactly what I need? He knows exactly where I need to be trimmed and cut back in order to maintain that life-giving connection with him that will help me grow even more fruit and, and, and look even more like Jesus than I do right now. Do you trust the gardener's hand in your life. See, the Bible plainly tells us throughout, uh, in places specifically like Romans 8, 29, for instance, that the dedicated, persistent purpose of God's choosing us and connecting us to the vine is pruning. It is pruning to, to conform us daily more and more into the image of the vine into the image of Jesus, to look and act and think more and more like him. That's the purpose of the pruning. And he said, that's the reason he's connected us to the vine. It says, John simply says there in verse 8, the purpose of our connection is to bear fruit and bring glory to the Father. And the way we do that is by connecting to him and submitting to his pruning. But rather than being something that is fearful... Jesus says that, that this is actually news that should produce great joy in us. Produce joy in us. How? Well, let's, let's look at that finally quickly here as we talk lastly about the joy of connection to the vine. The joy of connection to the vine. This point itself could be a, a whole sermon. I I'm, cannot give it all that I want, but let's look, at least understand briefly a bit of what's going on here. Look at verse 11. Jesus' purpose statement. His whole reason for why he is saying all of this in our passage, he says this in verse 11. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Now all this talk about, about vines and vineyards and producing fruit and Jesus as the vine, uh, it's not stated here, but I think it is intended to be a clear connection to what Jesus' first miracle was in the wedding in Cana. Do you remember there was a party going on there and the, they hadn't planned well enough? The party was about to die and fall apart because there wasn't enough wine. 
And what did Jesus do as his very first miracle? Did he show up and he say, yeah, that's right, put your coats on, go home, parties are sinful. No. He came and produced more wine than they could ever consume, brought and injected joy and life into a party that was about to die. You see what that means? See what that means? That means that just as we saw a few weeks ago, John 10.10, Jesus said, I've come that you might have full, abundant life, the Zoe life that I've come to bring you. That's why I came here in the same way. He says, connection to me with the Father. I've come to do that in order that you might have full, abundant joy as well. That's the reason I'm connecting you. This isn't a, a, a science experiment. I've come for you to have joy. We've talked about over the years, but it's, it's worth mentioning here quickly in, in response to this, how, how different, the notable difference between something like joy and something like happiness. They're, they're not the same thing. Joy is something different than happiness. Happiness is an emotion uh, which can be brought about and taken away by the smallest of things and also lost because of the smallest of things. I can have happiness because uh, I'm eating a taco and then immediately lose that happiness because I notice uh, an eyelash in it. That's how quick it can happen. Gone. Joy, on the other hand, is something that, although it requires more investment to have, is something that is also infinitely much harder to remove once you have it. It's something that remains. It can endure through much harder circumstances. In fact, we read in Hebrews 12, too, that joy, it was the presence of joy that actually enabled Jesus to face the cross and all the horrors that he faced there. It was not the presence of happiness or anything else. It was the joy set before him that enabled him to endure the cross and scorn its shame. What that means for you and I today is that what Jesus offers you in being connected to him and remaining in him, the true vine, is the experience of this joy, a secured rootedness, a pleasure that can only be found in Him and which cannot be taken from us no matter what comes against us. It can't be taken because no matter the winds that blow, the rains that pound and hammer that branch, if it continues to remain connected to the vine, it continues to have the life flowing through it. It continues to have that sustaining grace, fruit-producing life flowing into it. That means that this joy continues to flow freely into us as long as we remain, as long as we are connected to the vine, sustaining us no matter what storm comes, helping us to hold on and have that joy with the hope of a cloudless tomorrow. Isn't that the kind of joy that you'd like to know? Wouldn't you like to know that in your own life? Isn't joy like that, as, as well as the ability to produce even more fruit, no matter what comes worth any amount of pruning that the gardener might bring into your life? You can know that joy today. You can know that, that, that life-producing connection to Him today. And the way you know it is by surrendering your life to the One who was perfectly obedient and faithful to the Father on your behalf. Jesus Christ, the true vine. He did that so that the separation that you and I could never reconcile between the Father, He would completely put together, He would con completely connect again in a permanent life-giving way in His death on our behalf. 
That's what it cost him to do that. That's what he's saying in verse 13 there. Greater love has no one than this than a man laid down his life for his friends. He laid down his life in order to produce that connection. We know that's true and we know it's possible for what we see in Jesus cry from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We see that Jesus Christ was actually cut off from the Father so that through his death you could be forever connected to the Father. That's what we read about in Isaiah 53, for instance. He writes this, By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people? And yet it was the same Isaiah who said, Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted as righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. That's what it cost Jesus. That's what it cost the true vine in order for you to be connected to the Father. So that you could have joy and life in him. Have it to the full, overflowing And so that you could finally now, connected to that life source, live out the purpose for which you were designed. Now you can do it. If you have that connection and you remain in Him. That's what He accomplished for us. That's what we're going to be celebrating specifically in this table and then this coming uh, Sunday at Easter. Surely, when we consider that, the, the immensity of that, as the hymn writer says so powerfully, love like that, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Let's pray. And I ask those of you who are helping me to serve communion, if you'd come to the front at this time. Living God, we stand humbled before you. As the hymn says, we stand amazed in the presence of Jesus. Wonder why he would love me, sinner condemned unclean. It wasn't through any striving or trying of our own that connected us to the vine. It was only through your, your willingness to choose us and make us your own. God, we are so grateful. Help us as we consider this connection to you to do what we can now to remain in you. You've secured the connection. Help us to constantly do what we can to maintain that connection, to to continue to seek the life that can only be found in you. Forgive us when we've tried to seek it in other places. Help us to find it again and again in you so that we might be trained to obedience, trained to the knowledge of the one place we can find the life, where we can find the ability to live out the purpose for which he made us. Keep us connected always, we pray. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.